Good protection. Going for the end zone. Open, making the grab. Trey Tucker for the touchdown. Hey now, welcome to the Sportscasters Podcast. My name is Steve Bennett. It is December 15th, 2023. We are 10 days from Christmas. And on the show today, we will have Kenny Albert and Scott Ryan. It is season 13, episode 23. We will have one more episode of season 13, so we'll do 24 episodes and that should come you know either right before or right after Christmas and then we'll be off into January and we'll be back for season 14 and the season 14 premiere will feature one of the all-time gets and guests in the history of the show uh before we get to all that first let's do first things first I'm going to blow through this I'm busy it's Christmas uh back in 2018 we featured in the book club a book called The Last Days of Letterman by an author named Scott Ryan, who I said would be on the podcast today. Uh, We talked about the book politely for about 25 minutes, and finally Scott, who seemed anxious the whole time, says to me, this is a sports podcast, right? Can I talk about my high school football team and the high school football rivalry that I love? And I said, sure. And he introduced me to the Maslin Tigers, a high school football program in Canton, Ohio, near Canton, Ohio, um, that was founded by Paul Brown and won 24 or 23 state championships, but none once they started doing the playoffs in 1973. And it was his life's mission to see the Tigers win a championship, a state championship. They have a rivalry versus McKinley which is up there with one of the great high school football rivalries in the country. And he sucked me into, for the last six years, following the Maslin Tigers' journey to state glory. And finally, finally, the Maslin Tigers are Ohio Division II state champions. Scott Ryan will join us after the book club to tell us more about what it was like to finally witness a Maslin state championship won on the field. Couple other things. Let's do Sabres. They stink. Uh, moving on, let's touch on the Saints. They stink. Uh, moving on, Patrick Mahomes. Come on, brother. Was anyone else? And it seems like other people were, because I know I'm not the first one to have this take. But was anyone else a little bit miffed by Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the team that won the Super Bowl last year, on one of the most ticky tack calls in the history of defensive holding? Uh, crying like that after a loss on an offsides where the guy was so far offsides, he was lined up with the linebackers. I mean, come on, Patrick Mahomes. That was ugly. That was really, really ugly. Uh, you got to be better than that. And I can understand and, and sympathize uh, with losing your temper a little bit. Could you ever imagine Drew Brees or Peyton Manning going across the field to one another after the other had just won? And screaming to them about how bad the refs were. I mean, the Saints are guilty of the worst call in the history of the NFL. 
that cost them a chance to play in the Super Bowl. And I guarantee Drew Brees did not treat Jared Goff like that after the game. Uh, that's a bad job by Patrick Holmes. He needs to be better than that. All right, last thing on first things first here. The Champions League in Europe and all of the European competitions, all three, have finished their group stages. The interesting thing about Champions League is they have finished their group stages forever. Uh, this is the last time the seemingly perfect tournament um, will be played the way it is this year. Next year, they're going to go to some weird format where everyone is in one group and like the top 14 will qualify, then the rest will play some kind of two-leg thing to get into the 16. They're still going to get down to 16, but it's going to be a totally different way so they can have more teams, which I'm sure means more money. But as many fans have pointed out, it feels like another Super League. And I just, you had something perfect. Excuse me. You had something perfect. Why mess with something perfect? I will never understand. Uh, The Champions League has made that decision, though. Three of the four Italian teams have made it past group stage. Inter Milan, Lazio, who I think has done well to get this far. Um, and also uh, uh, Naples, uh, uh, Napoli. And um, AC Milan fell short. That's what they get for having no Italians on their team, Uh, but they will go to Europa League. Two of the four Premier League teams are out of Europe completely. Completely. Fourth place in the group stages for Manchester United and Newcastle United. Man, for the best league in the world. France only got one team and barely in PSG. That league stinks. Um, Spain, I think, led the way. They had all four. Denmark has as many teams as France, which is interesting. Uh, but that's the Champions League. All right, we're busy today. I got to get this up. It's 10 days till Christmas. Like I said, we're going to have one more episode this season, and then we'll be back in mid-January to start the next season. Season 14, and we have a massive, massive guest kicking that season off, which has taken up all my time researching and working and preparing for maybe the biggest interview of my life. So I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, uh, Kenny Albert, a great friend of the show, is next. Then we'll do the book club, um, and then we'll be back with Scott Ryan, and I'll finish things out with plugs and one last thing. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, the great Kenny Albert. Good morning, Kenny. How are you doing today? I'm great, Steve. How are you? Published author for the first time on the show. You know, it still sounds strange to refer to myself as an author or to hear others refer to myself as an author, but uh, it was an exciting project, and uh, over the last two or three months, have done a lot of interviews and events publicized in the book, and it's really been a lot of fun. Um started thinking about it during the pandemic when we all had a lot of time in our hands and put together an outline and some sample chapters. And here we are three and a half years later. I was going to ask you if it was a, a um, COVID passion project because all year long, every author I've interviewed pretty much was, you know, based on the timing, something someone started during the pandemic. It, it, it sort of was uh, that, Steve. I, I had thought about it for a long time i I feel like i have a lot of stories to tell and every year i speak to several groups of high school and and college age broadcasting students 
and they all ask great questions. And a lot of it is about uh, how they can advance in their careers, what they should do. So that that's a big part of one of the chapters in the book. Um, but I thought to myself, why not put some of these stories down on paper? So early in the pandemic, I put together an outline, some sample chapters. I had been contacted by a book agent out of New York named Andrew Blauner, who's a big sports fan, about a decade ago. And he said to me, look, if you're ever thinking about writing a book, uh, get back in touch because I can hopefully put you together with a publisher. And that's exactly what took place. Uh, Triumph Books out of Chicago uh, took on the project. And they basically said to me, we need 70,000 words by September 1st, 2022. <laughs> and it, it, it sounded you know, a bit daunting at that point. And I decided I wanted to do it alone. No ghostwriter. I enjoy writing. I did a lot of it back in high school and college. And I felt like I wanted the book to be in my voice, my stories. So over the course of the next two years, you know, whether at home during the pandemic or once the seasons all started back up again on airplanes and hotels, I would take out the laptop whenever I could. And all of a sudden during the summer of 22, uh, I was over 70,000 somehow. I uh, couldn't believe I actually got there. So, um, like I said, it was a, a really fun project. Um, so many great people uh, took part, you know, as far as writing some blurbs and uh, Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier. It's kind of surreal every time I look at the cover. Uh, they wrote the forwards. Uh, two broadcast partners of mine. That's a wild. Hockey player of all time yep. and, and one of the one of the top 50 NBA players of all time. So just so excited to have their names on there with me on the cover of the book. I think when I finished the book, the two number one takeaways from it were one, Kenny Albert knows everybody in the world. <laughs> and number two, you must be very high on the airlines list of most flights flown since 1990 uh, or whatever. Definitely, definitely up there. On, on the various lists uh, at Delta, United, American, et cetera. Um, you know, I've been so fortunate to meet so many great people through the years, um, you know, whether broadcast partners, uh, producers, directors, you know, all of the behind-the-scenes folks that we work with, um, and then the coaches and players that we cover and, and the, the, the public relations staffs from the various teams, et cetera. Um, and I appreciate you reading the book for the, for the listeners. It's really a compilation of, first of all, early life. Um, you were probably surprised about some of the stories that you read. Yeah, uh, even those people, born, everyone you I met at born, camp, like became like the uh, president of something. You know what I mean? Like, right. Even before that, I, I was yeah. born three months three months premature. Was in the hospital for the first two and a half months of my life in an incubator. Uh, you know, finally made it out, and then. Uh, just stories about growing up in a sportscasting family. Uh, Cox Cable showing up at my high school pretty much unannounced, and I volunteered to broadcast a girls' basketball game. And, uh, you know, from there, uh, worked about 75 to 100 games on Cox Cable through the next two and a half years, and then on to NYU and broadcasting men's and women's basketball, and then creating a hockey team. The, Don't right, forget it, NYU. Uh, uh, a, a, a fellow student created a hockey team and I joined and, and played on the club team and helped out with the administrative duties. And then onto the Baltimore Skipjacks of the American Hockey League, a whole chapter on the experiences there. 
two years in Baltimore, which I would never trade in for anything. Uh, just invaluable experience, getting reps, doing the games on the radio, also helping out in marketing and sales and public relations, et cetera. You know, picking up players at the airport, really whatever they needed. And then a chapter on each of the four sports, uh, you know, that I've called on a consistent basis, chapter on the Olympics, a chapter on broadcast partners, a chapter on travel tales, a chapter on how we did things during the COVID pandemic, calling games off monitors, chapter on paying it forward. So you don't necessarily have to be a sports or broadcasting fan to read the book. There's a lot about family and hard work and dedication. So uh, hopefully some of your listeners can check it out. Do you still have any tapes of air checks or anything from WKGA? <laughs> I have some. I do. <laughs> I have a couple of them. I'd like to uh, hear that. That. Was, my, that was my fictitious radio station. My initials are KGA. Yeah. And I do have some cassettes. There, there are probably others in a box in storage somewhere, but uh, a couple of them do still exist. Yes. And then your brother created a station, W, his initials. I forget what they are. Right. My, my father had his fictitious station, WMPA. <laughs> Uh, my younger brother WBDA. So we all. I love. There it. were a lot of radio. There were a lot of radio stations coming out of that one household. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, that was you one know, of my I, I favorite joke, little I things. Joke it, yeah. I joke in the book. My uncles would come over, Alan, Steve, who were also yeah. longtime play-by-play broadcasters, um, and they would sit around telling stories. I joked that that was like I was listening to the first all sports radio station back in the back in the nineteen seventies. And you were a part of the first all. Well, I mean. I don't know if WFAN is officially the first all sports radio station. I'm pretty sure it was. Okay. I think it was the first. Um, Okay. So you're part of that as well, which I thought was, I didn't realize you had such a, such a background in sports radio. I mean, you had done radio shows at different stops along your career and obviously a part of WFAN and just, it's an unbelievable part of the book to follow you around and see who you encounter because it's always someone the reader will know, you know. Right. I worked behind the scenes when WFAN yeah. uh, first started in July of 87. Uh, Howie Rose is a terrific uh, Hall of Fame caliber broadcaster. I uh, did hockey for so many years and a longtime voice of the New York Mets. He was a young radio guy at the time, and uh, he was working at WHN, which is the predecessor to WFAN, doing sports in the mornings and when WFAN was about to start, he was hired as the host of Mets Extra, pre-post-game shows uh, surrounding the Mets radio broadcast. I was in college at the time, and I knew Howie, and he asked me to work as his associate producer. So I was out at Chase Stadium at all the home games, uh, sitting with Howie, helping arrange guests, arranging phone callers, etc. So that was a, a great learning experience as well. And then as you referenced, uh, during my early days in Baltimore when I called minor league hockey, uh, along with Jerry Coleman and Nestor Aparicio, who have had long careers in Baltimore radio. Uh, the three of us hosted a sports talk show uh, back in 1991, 92, and, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, Jerry did a lot of the selling. You know, he would, he would round up sponsors for us. And Nestor was a writer at the time. He would come and fill in when I was away on a hockey road trip. So uh, fun times back about three decades ago working in sports radio. I think we've kind of talked about this before, but one of my all-time favorite things to talk about is the 1994 NHL playoffs and, of course, especially the finals. 
I know I told you I was a big Burray guy. I was also a Rangers. I've always been a Rangers fan. Uh, sort of as like, like, like you were Canucks and Rangers. I was always Sabres and Rangers. Um, and Canucks, ironically, because I love Burray so much. Uh, but what a, like, the chapter, or the almost, not the whole chapter, but most of the MSG chapter, or a large part of it, is about everything that happened in your life during the Rangers Stanley Cup final, which you ended up calling because kind of because your dad and the Knicks and their run and your dad was technically number one on the number one Rangers, but he would miss so many games that then the, the, the other guy had to drop down and then that opened the spot for you and you needed the Rangers and Canucks to win. So this sort of to happen this way and you met your wife and you called one of the greatest Stanley Cups of all time. And I mean, what a, what a, what a whirlwind that chapter is. Well, Steve, it was a crazy set of circumstances back in 94 uh, Howie Rose, who we were just talking about, um, was the, quote, backup radio voice of the Rangers. But he did about 60 games. Um, my father was the main voice, as you referenced, but he also had his Knicks and NBA duties. So he would only work about 20 games a year and then was busy with NBC all the way through the NBA finals. So um, Howie had done the Stanley Cup on NHL radio the year before, along with Mike Keenan, who obviously became head coach of the Rangers. Right, with the McSorley. Uh, next year. Yep. Right, the McSorley stick in 93, yep. Kings Canadians. So I got a call midway through the conference final, the Rangers Devils, the unbelievable series, Matteau, the game seven, double overtime winner. Maybe the best I get ever a call. series. Maybe the yeah, best I get a call ever. about halfway through. If the Rangers make it, Howie's not available. Would you be interested in doing the final on NHL radio on 26 at the time? Of course, uh, I'm yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> and, and it's my two favorite teams, as it turns out, the Rangers right. and Canucks. So yeah. at that point, now I'm rooting so heavily for the Rangers. They fall behind 3 2 to the Devils, the Messier guarantee game, the Matteau game seven. I'm watching in my apartment in Rockville, Maryland, uh, rooting so heavily, knowing that I will get to work the Stanley Cup final if the Rangers win this series, uh, which they did. And uh, it was a terrific Stanley Cup final. Rangers took a 3-1 lead, wind up losing game five uh, on home ice. Everybody thought they were going to win the Cup that night. Yeah. And be because they lost, I met my wife that night for the first time. She was living in New York. We had a mutual friend who I mentioned earlier, Jerry Coleman, from my Baltimore radio days. They had gone to college together. So if the Rangers had won the Cup on June 9th, 94, we probably would not have met. Uh, wound up meeting that night, and uh, the Rangers went on to win the Cup in Game 7. So certainly a memorable time in my life, and uh, it's a big part of one of the chapters in the book. So interestingly, uh, how he gets the incredible Mateau call, uh, one more hill to climb, baby, right? So props to him on that. Uh, your dad is on the VHS tape that my brothers and I – wore out like you if we if i still had a vcr i couldn't play it when me and my brothers watch that rangers vcr 94 final thing your dad narrates it incredible and then um i always laugh about that game five that the rangers had because first of all that game's wild it's three nothing and then the rangers tied a three and you think oh you know oh boy here we go and then i think beret courtnell and someone else scored um to win that one. And that happened to, to Pittsburgh, too, if you remember, in the Nashville series when they got yes. that game yep. five and everyone thought they were going to win and then uh, they didn't get to win it at home that night. But, um, yeah, what a series and what a time for you 
uh, unbelievable too. Do you do you remember your call when they uh, no more? You mentioned it in the book. Uh, no more. You said something about 1940, right? Right, something to the effect of uh, say goodbye to the ghosts of nineteen forty. The ghosts of nineteen forty. Yeah, that's what it Since was. Since that was the last time, yeah, the Rangers had won the cup. Yeah, that was the that was the big thing. And I always think about that drought and apply it to other teams because it's it's so easy to figure out, right? I always think, okay, forty nine, fifty four years. You know, where the where the Sabers at? Where the whoever? You know, I always think I always use that as like a reference point. Um, with that, but yeah, the book highlights so many incredible moments in your life. All there's the chapter on Fox and football, which we've talked about so many times. You were on this show uh, the day after uh, the 49ers and Saints playoff game that you talk about. Um, you also called the first game in the Saints championship run uh, against Arizona, kind of the Reggie Bush game, his all-time great game as a Saint with the punt return and the rush and the heroics he had that day there. Although you remember, uh, most people don't, that the – the Cardinals scored first on like a long, I think, Tim Hightower touchdown run. It's like, oh boy, but uh, went well. But yeah, so many great games you talk about from your run at Fox. One of the greats all time you called yesterday too, which will probably be in part two, the second book. Um, you'll always remember that one. But I want to talk a little bit about Breeze and Manning, which you have in there as well in the seven-six touchdown game that you called the Superdome as well. Well, ironically, I was talking about that game yesterday because yep. uh, we have Giants like Saints. Yeah, Vilma didn't right? like it. Yeah, Giants Saints coming up this week. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, down right. In, down in New Orleans, a little bit so different quarterback matchup this little, week. A little <laughs> preview. You might you might just see a highlight package. You know, we're reminiscing about uh, the 30th season on Fox. Yep. So yesterday we I enjoyed that one. Uh, the yes. championship game, Saints yeah. and Vikings from 2009. But uh, next week you might just see a clip from that. 52-49 game uh, between the Giants and the Saints eight years ago. I always forget, too, that the Saints won it in, re in regulation. Like It's always in my head that they needed overtime, but there was, a, I think, a late turnover by the Giants. And they, right, and, and then a last-second field yeah, goal. Yeah, kicked the field goal at the buzzer. Too. And it, it, was, it, was, it was amazing that it actually came down to a field goal, right, in a game that, yes, all those that, touchdowns. that included 13 touchdown passes. And uh, a pick six. And a pick six as well. Which was not Breeze's fault. It, it was one of those where it hits the guy in the chest and bounces off of him. Right. Um, right. I remember that too. Yeah. A wild, wow. So many wild games. I was, I'm always interested too. Like, I'll, I'm interested in those early days at Fox too, because you'll see, I'll see highlights and I'll hear a voice. I'm like, wow, they called that game. Like, Joe Buck was on this Saints game where you probably have seen this highlight where they kick it into the end zone and everyone just kind of walks away. Like, it's not going to be anything. And the Rams guy picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown. Was that Robert Bailey? Yeah, and it counted even though there's, like, 9 million people on the field at this point. Because both one. both teams, like, and Buck is on that call, which is funny when you hear that, you know, young Buck. Do you remember any calls back in the beginning? Any Because you talk about a couple of games in the beginning. I remember those early days of Fox when you guys, when Fox is so smart and stole that contract out from under um, – under CBS and 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 got the the big package, but I'm always. Well, I remember uh, the first game very well, as I write about in the book. It was the Cardinals and Rams, the Arizona Eight, Cardinals. Five. Buddy, Buddy yeah. Ryan. That was later in the season. That was another okay. Rams game. Okay. Uh, but the first game was 14-12. Todd Light had a big fumble return for a touchdown. Jerome Bettis had a touchdown in that game for the Rams. That, so that was the first game I worked. We did have later that season the only eight-five game in NFL history. That was the Falcons and the Rams. Jeff George, a quarterback for Atlanta in that one. So a score Gami. 
A lot, yeah, exactly. A lot of those games stand out from year one. You know, some of them are a blur through uh, through some of the other years. I remember we had two Saints games. I think in the span of three weeks, they played in L.A. twice back in 94. They played the Rams and the Raiders. Oof, and season. we had both of those games yeah. on the road in 94. 94, rough times for the Saints. Uh, I was also thinking yesterday about how, oh, your daughter, this was a great Saints tie-in. I, I know your daughter was born uh, the day you call the Saints-Bears game or the day after. Right, the day after. Yeah, the day after. And I I was thinking about that game, and I'm like, oh, that was one of the Billy Joe Tolliver, Billy Joe Holbert era games. And I I double-checked my math, and it was Billy Joe Tolliver uh, on a Bears Bears win over the Saints the day before uh, your daughter was born. And you mentioned – we talked about all the flights, but you mentioned I love the the chapter about your family too, which was really great. And you know your your, your siblings and and growing up together. How I like how the one sibling is like a, a she pretends like she doesn't know sports, but then she's got that stealth knowledge. She'll she'll drop every once in a while. I really enjoyed that and the different anecdotes about your family just made it really personal and showed a different side of you that I really enjoyed. Well, I appreciate it. Um, you know, hopefully. Uh, I know you sounds like you enjoyed the book. And, I did. And hopefully, hopefully the the listeners and and folks around the country, you know, take everybody seems to take something different out of it. Um, yeah, friends and family that that have read it, you know, they'll bring up a specific story, um, and, and it's always something different. So that's kind of neat to hear uh, different people's thoughts about what they take out of the book. Yeah, I was a little surprised our our, our launch in. Um... In New Jersey, there didn't make it, but um, as a as you know, a, I might be back there today. I might be heading over to Rudy's nice. Pizzeria where you and I had yeah, a terrific Rudy's. meal a couple of years ago. That that that's actually listed in my top twenty restaurants in the back of the. I Rudy's saw. Pizza. I noticed that in the in the appendix. One thing I want to mention too is when I knew you were going to write a book and it was going to come, I was excited because I've always felt when doing this with you that. I always felt like I was treading really lightly when talking and asking about your dad. I never knew. I wasn't really clear, I guess, on what the relationship was like. Sometimes I felt like when I would go there, there'd be, I would feel like you didn't want to do it. You didn't want to talk about it too much. I didn't know if it was just like establishing yourself kind of thing. So I was excited to see what you would write about your dad and the book and how your relationship is. And I was really pleasantly surprised, um, really, um, that I, maybe I misread that. I don't know. I don't know why. No, such great memories. I mean, I, I chronicle a lot of it in the book, uh, getting to tag along as a youngster and just learn so much by osmosis, uh, by watching the preparation and, and the work uh, that he did and his, his color analysts and the production folks around them. Um, so, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed chronicling those stories as well. And Always happy to talk about it. You did stay away, though, from many of his, like, I was wondering if you might talk about how some of his issues played out for you and the family in in New York City, because I always thought that must have been really tough on you. And I'll tell you a personal story. I remember one time I was texting you because you came up on Stern. I was so excited to tell you about it. And and I'm listening to it in real time, having never heard it. And I text you about it. The next thing, they're kind of picking on your dad for a half an hour. And I I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope he didn't think. I was trying to goof on him or something, you know what I mean? But you kind of stayed away from that stuff, and I get it because the tone of the book was so different than that, you know what I mean? But I don't know if you thought about it at all or if the 
editors pressured you at all about it or, or how you handled that? Uh, no pressure from the editors. It, it, you know, it was pretty much, like I said, they told me we need 70,000 words by, by September 1st of 2022. So um, sat down and, and made that outline and started writing the sample chapters. And it's funny, you mentioned Howard Stern and, and this story made it into the book. Yes. Um, yep. I, I, I definitely chuckled when uh, uh, a couple of friends started texting me about five or six years ago after the NHL All-Star game was played in Los Angeles. And uh, Snoop Dogg w- was the entertainment down on the ice pregame. Uh, he was referring to himself that day as DJ Snoopadelic. <laughs> and I had to apologize on on uh, NBC for some of the lyrics that, that, that he used that came out over the air uh, right before the All-Star game. And uh, Howard Stern, they, they played uh, My Apology, and then he started mimicking you know, as he called it in the in the fake sports announcer voice, um, my words when I had to apologize <laughs> for Snoop Dogg. I gotta find that. I gotta find that clip. Do you, do you remember what year that was? Uh, it was the NHL All Star Game in LA. I think it was 2017, but I could look it up for you. I'll find it. I'll, the Pretty NHL sure thing in LA. I'll find that clip if you want. I can send it to you if you want to have. If you don't have it, um, because I have basically every Stern show ever, so I'll I'll find it, um. Yeah, the, <laughs> there was also a time Gary was saying that you almost you were going to do the play by play for one of their. I don't know if it was Artie basketball game or if it was something that. Yeah, I think it was a boxing match. A boxing, um, okay, I, one of the boxing matches. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know Gary pretty well. Gary Delabate. Um, we've run into each other at a number of events through the years, and they had asked me about twenty plus years ago. And unfortunately, the scheduling just didn't work out. Yeah, it was out. a schedule was, conflict. Yep, I, I was on the road. I was yeah. out of town. But they did ask about potentially uh, doing that boxing play-by-play. Yeah, I think it was maybe the Stuttering John and, and Cabby one. Or I think they did three. They did um, Her- Geraldo and uh, Frank Stallone, the brother of, uh, of Sly Stallone. And then John had, I think, two fights, one against Cabby and one against... Um, I don't know, someone else, I guess it doesn't matter. The book is called The Mike for All Seasons, My Three Decades Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics. There's a great Olympics chapter in there. It's by Kenny Albert. He mentioned Wayne Gretzky. Clyde Frazier are on the um, forwards. You can obviously buy it wherever you buy books. It's a great holiday gift, Um, and it doesn't have to be for a sports fan. There's such great stories in here about family and about building a career. Like you said, the great advice. Um, so many great moments in culture and so many different things. I really enjoyed it. I, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, the relationship we've been able to build on here, Kenny. And um, I just uh, thank you so much for letting me be a part of reading it and promoting it with you. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for this show in the last, since you started coming on in 2011. So how many years ago is that now? Jeez. Has it been that long? It wow. has, wow. yeah. Well, it's always great. Always great to join you, Steve. And I know you're paying close attention to each and every Saints game that I work and oh, yeah. uh, have another one this coming Sunday. But um, thanks again for having me on and talking about the book, asking about the book. Like I said, it was a really exciting project to be a part of. Um, as we tape this on a Monday, I have two events coming up this week. One is at the NHL shop in Manhattan uh, tomorrow, so really looking forward to that. And then another one at a, a bookstore in New Jersey. So. Just trying to get the word out there. It's a great holiday gift, and it can be found, you know, online, Amazon, Target, BarnesandNoble.com. So, uh, again, hopefully, uh, hopefully the listeners 
who uh, have a chance to read it will enjoy it. And uh, thanks for reading it uh, and having me on the show today. thank Kenny Albert for not only being a great friend, but for being on the podcast today. Uh, that is the last book of 2023. Uh, it's been a great year for the book club. The book club is always a driving force for this podcast. It's so important for a podcast this size uh, that big names in sports media write books and are willing to come and promote them on this show. That will never change. Uh, we finished two last week. We finished one this week, and that kind of clears the deck. We have one left from 2023 that's going to carry over into 2024. That's Charlie Hustle, The Rise and Fall of Pete Rose in the Last Glory Days of Baseball um, by Keith O'Brien. We'll carry that one into 2024, uh, and then we'll be off. One more book I want to mention, um, because I've been working on it behind the scenes. Last year, on the season finale, we interviewed uh, Chris Ballard, uh, who had worked on a compilation Sports Illustrated story compilation book called The Basketball Vault. And I love The Basketball Vault. And I love that interview with Chris. And I seen recently that they had released a book called The Football Vault this year. And I have been rapidly trying behind the scenes uh, to figure out who's promoting that, who was involved in it. Uh, I spoke spoke to Wertheim, and he passed me off, and then I got passed off, and I finally found the right person. They say they're sending me a book. That was November 30th. I still haven't gotten it, but as soon as I do and as soon as I can find out who's doing interviews for that, we'll have them. Hopefully, it's before the season ends. If not, that'll be something, I guess, for the beginning of season 14, but the football vault is out there, and if it's as good as the basketball vault is, it could be a great Christmas present for someone on your list. Uh, because this is Sports Illustrated has been a disaster, and hopefully we'll have John Wertheim in the finale, like we always do, to talk about where it stands now. Uh, but it, this is this book draws on its greatness, and it's years and years of greatness and great football writing by people like Frank DeFord and Peter King and Doctor Z and all the great people who've wrote about football in that magazine. So hopefully we can uh, track that down. But if not, at least I mentioned it one time. So all right, we are going to take a break. It's the story of Maslin High School uh, from one of Maslin's biggest fans. Uh, and we're going to have him on the podcast right now. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show as a state champion. <laughs> it has happened. It uh, has. It has happened. I-, I gave some background earlier. Of course, this started for us. This journey started uh, when you wrote a book called The Last Days of Letterman. That was what, 18? Yeah, 2018. So I saw this book on Facebook, I think, and I said, that looks like a cool book. And not only was two of my favorite people were involved in the last days of Letterman, Eddie Vedder and Howard Stern. So I was like, I should do that on the book club. And when you came on 
We talked about the book. And I could feel you getting restless in the talk of the book. <laughs> and it was so weird because usually people want to talk about their books. But I could just feel you had something on your mind. And all of a sudden you go, hey, this is a sports show, right? Can I talk about my high school football team? <laughs> and you told me all about Maslin and how they had this great rivalry and how it was considered for Friday Night Lights. But then they went with Texas because they wanted the Texas part of it. And um, you told me about the, you know, during McKinley week, what the Maslin's like and how big of a rivalry it is. And then you told me the big thing that before the playoffs, your team had won 24 state championships. This is when they decided it sort of like they used to decide the college football national championship, right? Like the, Season would end and right. the, the media would decide. There was voting, whatever. It wasn't on the field. They put the 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 thing in in 1973, I believe, the playoffs. And your team had not won the states yet, but you said that this would probably be the year. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in 2018. It was in, tw- <laughs> it was in 2018, and it should have been the year. And it since should've. then, and since then, by the way, I have. Minus attending the games, followed masculine football almost as closely as you. You also came back somewhere in between here and there with one of the coaches. You 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 guys had sort of preemptively written a book that was going to sort of serve as a celebration of the state championship. Um, and you didn't win that year either. Um. Yeah, that was the 2019 season, and okay. that book was Mass and Tigers 15 for 15. The, yes. What the team decided that year was they would do 15 push-ups after the game. So I, they'd play yeah. a whole game, then the whole team would get to the center of the field, and the entire town would count down those 15 push-ups because there were 15 games to the state championship. And miraculously, we made it to the state championship to face Hoban, but we lost. But we lost. And I would file I would and I would text I would message I guess instant message a messenger it was on Facebook. I would write you in like you know, I would pick it up kind of like around Thanksgiving, see where everything was at, maybe a little before that. And I'd be text and then when the when they lost, I'd never know what to do. <laughs> like I would just kind of say because look at I'm a huge Saints fan and a huge Italy soccer fan. And when either of them lose, I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I don't want to be bought. So I, I just kind of would just back away and then pick it back up the next year. But um, yeah, this year you said sort of from the diff from the beginning that it felt different. But you did say your best player was hurt, which concerned me. Um, but every game was a blowout until the final. All right, let's back up a little bit. Instead of me just going generically. Tell a little bit why this is so important to you. And I don't just mean from a football level, but from a human and personal level as well. Well, and, you know, this is is the crazy question uh, that I feel in some ways you and possibly your listeners are the only people who can understand me. You're probably right. Because, yep. you know, like you said, um, yeah, here I am doing a book on David Letterman who truly is my tv hero 
But all I wanted to talk about are the Tigers. I also cover Twin Peaks a lot. And, you know, I'm supposed to go to places, but I won't go if there's a Maslin game. And people are like, what? Why aren't you going? And I'm like, oh, Maslin's playing. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, for me, it's the Tigers. And then it's everything else, including like, you know, children and family (laughs) functions and weddings and funerals or whatever it is. It is the Tigers first, because I've been going since I was a little kid. My dad bought season tickets back in the 60s. I recently, I didn't even know this, but I recently found out I am literally alive because Maslin beat McKinley. So my dad did not have money to buy my mom an engagement ring. He bet on the Maslin-McKinley game. They won. That's amazing. He took that money and bought my mom's engagement ring. (laughs) That's too good. So, I mean, my whole life basically exists because of the Tigers, and we always went to the games. Um, and Were you a student I, there? No, I okay. went. There's two high schools in Maslin. Okay. Uh, there's Perry and there's Maslin. We lived in Maslin, but I went to Perry. Okay. Not but I fault. never went to a Perry game but, yeah. my whole life. Um, I wore a Maslin Tigers t-shirt to Perry. The gym teacher in the sixth grade made me take my shirt off. And I had to, I had to go the whole day wearing no shirt. That's, that's you a sign of the times. If that's, that yeah, that's a sign of the times right there. He said I couldn't wear that shirt at school. So you had um, to go skins the whole day, huh? I had to go skins <laughs> the whole day in the sixth grade. And believe me, I've been a lanky bastard my whole life. It wasn't like I had some six pack to show right. off. That's wild. That's a wild. Um, that's wild right there. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's a lot of hatred between Perry and Maslin because they are basically like three miles apart. Uh, So, and Maslin is always a juggernaut. So, you know, it's just been my whole life. And when my dad died, the tickets came to me. And now I still have the tickets. What year did your dad He died in 2008. So my dad and I got to see one state championship game together as an adult in 2005. Okay. We did get to go to one. We went to the 82 game, but I was just 12 years old. I really don't remember it very much. But, you know, getting to go in 2005 was great. Now, I've got Are they generally always at the Hall of Fame? Was it at the Hall of Fame? Um, it was at the Hall of Fame that okay. year as well in 2005. Got it used it. to split. They used to split the games between McKinley and Maslin's stadiums. Okay. So half the games would be at one and half would be at the other. So when McKinley won their state championship, they won it on Maslin's field. When Maslin won theirs, they won it on McKinley's field, which I think is fun. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> That's wild. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a weird thing that each of us uh, did it on on their rivals' home the, field. When the Saints, um, when the Rams beat the Patriots, uh, or the, uh, the Patriots beat the Rams. I'm sorry, Tom Brady's first Super Bowl win was it was at the Superdome, and I remember the Saints made a big stink because they didn't want the Rams in their locker room because um, they didn't want to face. They didn't want the because they're in the same division at the time. And they were the old NFC West, and they didn't want to, They didn't want them to possibly have the opportunity to celebrate in their locker room. So I remember that being a big thing. So pettiness like that exists in sports. I love that you want to make me feel. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it is pretty awesome, yeah. actually. Yeah, when we've never lost to McKinley in that, because the Hall of Fame 
redid it, you right. know, yeah. and so we actually and it's actually named after the former Saints owner, correct? Yeah, Tom Benson. Tom Benson, yeah. So Saints connection there. So there we go. Yeah. yeah. So and we've you know filled it more than McKinley ever could. Like if you've seen clips online. You know the the announced number is fifteen thousand, but that's yeah. that's ridiculous. Slow. Yeah, it was because we were, when we were going in, the scanners weren't working, and they were just letting people walk in. There was definitely twenty thousand people and tell, there. Tell everybody how many people are in the town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's about thirty thousand in Maslin, that's and twenty thousand were at the game. <laughs> it's amazing. That's, that's so good. So. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and and that's the way it is. Our stadium holds how did Hoban around eighteen thousand people? Did Hoban have fans? Because they're they're near they're in Akron, right? Yeah, they're yeah they were only like ten minutes away. Um, before the game, there was hardly any Hoban people there. It did fill up, but I don't know if those were Maslin people or Hoban people. I, I don't know if we right. if we filled that side. Okay, so um, they travel as well. Yeah. Well, I think the Maslin Hoban game has become of interest in that area because that really comes down to the state championship sure. every year. So I think people just from Stark this County. This was what, came. the fifth or six years you played in either the finals or the semifinals, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Yep. And we beat them the year we did the book in, in 2019. The right. It, that year, it happened to be the semifinals, and then we lost in the state championship to it's another Cincinnati Catholic right? school, Someone Cincinnati LaSalle. Yeah. Um, Maslin has only played private schools in the state championship. We have never got to play a public school. We beat the public schools always. It's just in Ohio, they have a rule that private schools can recruit. So Hoban has kids from seven different states. Not just Ohio. Right. You're playing the whole country. Um, but now the criticism is, of Maslin is that you recruit as well, right? Well, we can't recruit. So it's a right. dumb. So not officially, it's, it's, yeah. It's not. Well, not even unofficially. It is impossible for a public school to recruit. I mean, they'd have, have to move to the neighborhood too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, but, you know, this is America. And if a parent <laughs> right. wants to move to Maslin, like if you have a kid and you know they have talent, and you don't have tens of thousands of dollars to give to some private school, your only option is to move to a public school. And by the way, that happens all across the country, by the way, too. Well, of course. Parents move for that reason all the time, in in lots of sports. In every sport. I've seen it in hockey. You know, I grew up in a hockey family. My brother played D1 at Yale, um, and we've seen this all the time. So, well, I would have done this if my son yeah. would have played football. And I mean, we would have moved to Maslin. Why wouldn't you want your kid to have that? But that is not recruiting. Right. That's a very different thing where the private schools can just offer them scholarships. They can pitch just like a college. So you're so Hoban is going to have the best kid at every position that they can get yeah. on the team. Yeah. So to beat them is really unheard. You know, it's very hard. Like this year, Maslin was the only public school in the big division in Ohio that won. And it's very rare for a public school to win the state championship in the state of Ohio. The other criticism, let's put this this one to bed too. The other criticism is, oh, well, it's D2. But 
you have beaten the D1 state champion <laughs> two years in a row, correct? Right. Yeah. So they have only the St. Ed's has won the state division one state title three years in a row. And the only game they've lost to in the last two years is to Maslin. So we are the undisputed right. champs on of the Ohio. field too. We don't. That's another right. on the field thing. We don't even need to speculate about that because they've played right. on the field. And the score of the St. Ed's game ended up being fifteen to thirteen, but they that that last score happened, you know, in the last minute of the game. And I think St. Ed's had something ridiculous, like sixty yards rushing or something. Like we manhandled them. Um, so there's just not a lot you can say. And again, St. Ed's is a private school where they're going to recruit the most perfect kid. They have the biggest offensive line in the country. Like the average weight was over 300 pounds. It was ridiculous. And we they couldn't run the ball on us. That's how good our defense is. Now, I know Hoban had at least one Ohio State kid. Does, yes. Did you guys have any, whether it's Ohio State or another college, any big college recruits like that? You know, we have a lot of D1 kids. None, you know, it's so weird. They just look past Maslin, um, it's which public. again goes yeah. to the Maslin versus the world right. type attitude, which sort of was the theme of the season. I've seen the banner. Yep, I've seen the banner. Yeah, I mean, they come out yep. to a flag that says Maslin against the world, and it's just the truth. Now, I think it's going to change. Like, we weren't even ranked until we beat St. Ed's. And then that's when people started to look. And I, the last I saw, we were ranked number ninth in the nation. And I think we were the second highest public school in the nation. There's some school in Texas, I think, that was a little bit higher. Now, there was um, when the Red Sox won in 04, finally, when they broke the curse of the Bambino. There was a famous message board at the time called the Sons of Sam Horn. And they had a thread that ended up going like 100 pages. And it was called Win It Four. And I noticed going into the game, you did that regardless of whether you knew about the Sons of Sam Horn or not. You basically <laughs> made a post, Win It Four, um, which I was glad you included yourself because you deserve it as much as everyone else you put on there. <laughs> Uh, but my guess is if there was a similar thing for Maslin, everyone had a story of someone it needed to be won for. And we, we talked about this before. Um, the, the game was won. The state championship game was won at a defensive stand. Not quite at the goal line. I would say they had got the ball to about the 20 or so. Um, and they had one last crack at the end zone. And really the quarterback made a pretty good play uh, and threw a pretty nice ball. And there was good coverage, not great. I thought the receiver had a chance to catch it. And when I first seen the play the first 20 times, I thought the defender got his hand in and knocked it out. Then I found another angle from the other side, and it sure just seems like he doesn't catch it. And I said to you that, to me, it was Paul Brown or someone knocking <laughs> that away. Paul Brown found it, Maslin, but I don't know if we said that. Um, and you mentioned that several people had said to you already that it was their loved one or whatever that that didn't quite get to see this, um, who who had a hand in that. And I think Maslin had many angels that night. Uh, talk a little bit about win it four and 
and what it and, and what it means to the community beyond you know just football. Well, first I got to say that that was Dorian Pringle who was the Maslin defender on that play, and he had and good he coverage. Is, he did have good coverage, he and he got his body to on cover. Him. Okay. He's never covered a receiver. That's not his job. Well, he did a, a good job there. He did a good so job he there. He said, yep. "I because I do a show called Tiger Talk. It's up on YouTube where I interview the coach and two players every week. And we had Dorian on for the state championship. And he said, this kid checked into the game who had not been on the field all day. And he just thought they're going to throw it to him. And there was no one on him. The coach right. Otherwise, why bring him the in, play. Right? Yeah, why bring him in if? At that point, if you're not going to throw the play, it. the defensive coach told Dorian to blitz the quarterback. Okay. And he was like, no one's going to be on this kid. So he followed that kid instead and put enough pressure on him to get in his head and the kid dropped the ball. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is nice, you know, smart football players. Yeah, That's good awareness. Key. Like yeah, someone. To see the, I talked to the coach and he said first he was getting angry. He's like, "Why is Dorian not doing that?" He was like, "Oh, I'm not angry anymore." <laughs> um, so, but I, it's hard for me to say, and I'm sure that I'm biased. And so, believe me, this is a biased answer. But I like to think that it was the fans that made the difference in that last drive. It was so loud. I believe that. And we were all screaming. And Hoban was rattled. The play before that, they bumbled the snap and fumbled. They jumped off sides one time. We were just screaming. Like, there was 14,000 Maslin people, and I don't think they could hear. At and least. Hoban doesn't yeah. have that. Um, fan base where Maslin kids are sort of used to that. You know, tons of people come to the Maslin McKinley game. We played Valdosta from Georgia, and that was a, you know, a huge crowd. The St. Ed's game has become a bit of a rivalry, and that was huge. So they have that in them, and I, I think a lot of it had to do with the twelfth man. I mean, I you know, you. I guess that yeah. could be an angel as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it could have been Paul Brown, you know, I don't know. But I think it had a lot to do with we rattled them. It was just that it was so loud in there. And Maslin just needed this. It's been too many losses in the last minute. So close. And I think this defense just was not going to give up. And they didn't give up a point all night. I mean, they the only points were a safety, which is not on them, obviously. Right, and um, so they pitched. And Hoban was averaging like forty-eight points a game in in that area. Yeah, I and mean, so that's were an we. Incredible, incredible job, and and props to to, to um, Hoban too, because Maslin, what was averaging quite? Yeah, a bit we were too. doing about forty forty-five, about forty-five points a game. Yeah, basically. it's a seven-two game. So I mean, Hoban can never say, or no one could ever say that you didn't take someone's best shot. You know, that was a well-played high school football game, you know, with both teams. But Hoban, Hoban made the mistakes. They had the turnovers, you know, um, that I think a big play in the game was after the safety, which was late in the first half. They get the free kick, and then you pick them off. So that only turns into one score instead of potentially two. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's and it turned the momentum back to um, to Maslin going into, the, uh, into halftime, too. So I think that was a big play. But just an unbelievable story of 
I mean, perseverance, sticking with it all these years. I remember the yeah, 53 years yeah, 53. between state championships. I mean, that is crazy. And then after the game, there was at least 8,000 people downtown. Um, How's the I parade? filmed a lot of that. The parade is going to be on Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Okay. So it's this week. They haven't had it yet. But I mean, everyone was just downtown hugging crying you know and the police actually put out a statement the next day there wasn't one incident at all um you know everyone was just celebrating there was no trouble and that town needed it like this is a steel mill town that has been dying since the 70s as we send jobs overseas and people aren't leaving Mm -hmm. that area because of the football team it's the football team that keeps people in maslin they're going to drive up to Cleveland or Akron or Columbus to work, but they're going to stay there for the team. And it's such a throwback to yeah. a different time in America. Um, I think I said that to you. You know, when I was looking at those videos of those people lying in the streets, um, it just looked like it looked like a video out of the 50s or 60s or 70s you know it just looked like a time in america that has passed it looked like it represented values to me that i think are lost to some degree um in the country it just looked like it was americana it was old time americana you know it was right. football and community and you know and family like families you know yeah. people can go out like i said on youtube we do a show called tiger talk and i always do a short thing from i do it with the coach's wife becca's becca moore we host it together so she gets a lot of great access and films everything and then i edit it together and when these kids are talking every one of them says we did it for the city you know and and they're not doing it for themselves the pressure that we're on these 16 17 18 year old kids to get this monkey off our back and to to be the greatest masculine team of all time, which I think they are beyond the fact that they won, but just statistically and, you know, they, they gave up one rushing touchdown all year. That's amazing. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, what? That's, that's incredible. Um, so it's just, it, it was something to see, but also me going through this since, at least I was 10, maybe even younger, there was something different about this year. And I've talked to a lot of the coaches about it and they agree. And I was like, oh, this is what a state championship run is. And and that's why it felt different. The other ones that we thought we were going to make it, there was just something, it wasn't there. Right. Um, but it was here this year. And it was it was almost destiny. You were saying I don't really all along you were going to win this year yeah i really i i mean look there's pictures of me in the second half when hoban's doing (laughs) that drive with three minutes to go i wasn't in the greatest spot i was pretty miserable and i've been to so many games and i thought they're gonna score and we're gonna lose nine to seven yeah but beyond that i have not been nervous all year i've just really believed that this was it I don't know why, because I'm not the most uh, sunshiny person because I have 52 years (laughs) of losses sitting on my shoulder. When the um, Saints won the Super Bowl in 2009 season, I have Super Bowls in 2010. But in the NFC Championship game was against Brett Favre and the Vikings. 
and they had the ball last in regulation. And I was just sitting on the couch saying, oh, man, we're going to get walked off on. We started 13-0, and and we're going to let them kick a field goal in our stadium at the buzzer to beat us. And luckily, Brett Favre threw a pick, and we won in overtime. But sometimes you need those moments of doubt. They make it better. Do you do you feel like, and obviously you would have loved to have won 24 other ones at this point, <laughs> but do you feel like some of the failures made this even sweeter? Um, no, okay. I don't. I, because in 2018, which was the year before we did the book, we really should have won, but our star player, they broke his ankle in the fourth quarter in the state semis. And he was our best defense and offensive player. And that was the year we should have won. And I feel like it would have been more of a shock because that was the first time Coach Moore took us to right. the States. They were We've that lost yeah. three times, you know, in the from 2018. And it almost feels like, come on already, yeah. you know? So I could have I could have done without those losses, to be honest <laughs> with you. No, I feel that. Um, I get that. But I, I do think sometimes, like as a Saints fan, when we finally won, I mean, my whole life, I would have been a fan since 1987. And they were not, they didn't win a playoff game till 2000. And, and that, I missed the first 20 years, right? So, like, it's a history of losing. And then when Breeze got there, you know, they made an NFC Championship game that they lost to Chicago, had a couple bad years, and then finally broke through. I don't know, something about those, if they would have won that first preseason in 2006. Look, I would have loved it just as much, but um, maybe a tinge better because they had went through that, you know, that I had been down with them. Um, but I see I see what you mean. Hey, look, I, I could. there's a lot of losses in my life as a sports fan I would have been loved to have been without. Well, it's just, it's so weird. Every year has ended on a loss. You know, it just feels because we went undefeated. So we're 16 and 0. No Maslin team had ever won 16 games before. So that's another record because Ohio put in a playoff system that's ridiculous where basically everyone makes it. So that first playoff game is just, it's just purely for money. And we just crush them. Like right. this poor person is playing a 10 and 0 Maslin team. And I think the team we played was 5 and 5. And it's just embarrassing for them and us. Right. Like it's it's not good for anyone. Sixteen games is too much to ask kids to play. It's, it's a just, lot. It's there's a no reason season. for it. I mean, even the book was called Fifteen for Fifteen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's up. It's yeah. gone up since it's gone then. Up since the um, book. And so we are announcing that Becca Moore, the coach's wife, and I are going to do a book from this year. It's going to be called Maslin Against the World. Love We're going to interview all the coaches. And we're not going to cover every game because, to be honest with you, most of the games were irrelevant. boring. Yep, irrelevant. Um, but there was some big events this year, like the St. Ed's game. We played a team from D.C. that was number one in D.C., and they actually quit. They, they quit the game. Yeah, That's seven minutes to go in the game. They they quit. Now, and there you... was a, a melee in the, in the McKinley game. In the too, McKinley right? game. Yeah, yeah McKinley... Uh, a couple of McKinley players attacked some of our players because we beat them 35 to nothing. So we're going to cover that. When was the last yeah. time McKinley won the game? Um, 2015. Damn. In the last second, their quarterback. That's the only time Coach Moore has lost to McKinley 
So he only lost his first year as a coach. So we're on an eight-year win streak, and which you know is is the goal number one for Maslin is to beat McKinley. McKinley. Goal number two is to win the state championship. That's how important it is. That's amazing. Banner night next year. Yeah, put a new banner up in the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I I'm assuming banners. a statue to me. A statue to you for your perseverance. They're going to yeah. finally bronze your seat in the stadium, right? Yeah, section 14. That's what I'm, you know, Maslin takes both sides of the stadium. So we have the home side, but then the 50-yard line, there's, there's section 14. That's where I sit. So I sit right by the away team, which is so fun because you feel that energy. Yeah. And um, I'm, I've, we've... You know, like I said, I've sat in those seats since probably 1978. What would your um, dad have said about all this, you think? I mean, it is hard. Like, it would have meant so much to my dad. Um, And I I think he would have just been so happy. It would have been nice to be there with my dad and my son, you know, have that. But we, we got a lot of games together, the three of us. And what I say... I wrote a blog about it and I say, you know, other families have photos, but in Maslin you have season tickets and, and that's how you share family. The people who sat with you in those seats through the years that come through, you know, that's your family in Maslin because, you know, you don't have general admission. Everyone's got their own seats and I'm not the only one. Like people would fight for those seats. So, you know, it. I wish it would have happened while my dad was here, and I think he would. I can't even imagine what he would think. But now I'm doing a, a YouTube series and writing books about it, and you know, like yeah. when the when the Maslin coach says my name, it still gets me. When it's like, <laughs> well, Scott, and I'm like, what the the head coach of the Maslin Tigers knows my name? What are you kidding me? So it's kind of crazy because I interview celebrities all the time. For my books, my other books, and it, you know, I could care less. Right. It these, does, are the real, you know? cause these are the real celebrities in your life. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> those other guys, right. whatever. Good entertainment. Yeah. Thanks for that. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's the Tigers, like when you come from there. And like I got on the plane to fly back to Florida and at the layover in Charlotte, I'm walking on the plane. So I'm not even in. In the Ohio area, and someone just said, "Way to go, Maslin! You finally did it." That's and amazing. Like, That's great. Everybody knows the Tigers. Was your son able to make it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, he was. Great. He was with me, so awesome. it was with my son and my wife. You know, we were in the front row. Um, I didn't. I didn't even react because, like, if they catch that ball, we lose. Right. If they drop it, we win. Yep. So, and then we just took a knee. And that last, I think it was a minute and 10 seconds, everybody was celebrating, but I wouldn't. I said, we could fumble because <laughs> we were on their 10-yard line. Like the miracle in the Meadowlands going to happen. You know, yeah. I just, well, I, I've been to a lot of games. I'm not, I was like, no, like I just sat there for that last minute. Yeah, I remember. And, and I couldn't do it. My son was like, we won, we won. And I'm like, just wait. <laughs> When the when the Saints won the Super Bowl, they intercepted Peyton Manning with like three minutes left to go up two touchdowns. And believe me, I very much celebrated that play. But then after, 
everyone's like, you're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm like, wait a minute here. They still have Peyton Manning. There's still three minutes right. left. Peyton Manning can score six touchdowns in three minutes on the right day. So I know that feeling too. Like, hold, hold on. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's really rare for a private school to make the errors that Hoban made. And, you know, I'm going to be writing a lot about that in the book because I think I think we need to look into that. It's it shouldn't have taken Maslin 53 years to win. And and a lot of it is the system, which is what Maslin against the world means to to me, because it's like. It's very American to say it's not about work. It's about who's paying the most money to win those that's state true. championships. Yeah, that's true. And it's I don't think business. that's the way it should be. Always business, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense that a school should have players from seven states. And I'm glad that we're a winner. And I can say that because if we lose, then people are like, well, right, sour you're grapes. just sour grapes. Yeah. But I'm more worried. There's a team called Springfield. I'm not sure where they're other in the Columbus area, I think. Well, they've lost to St. Ed's three years in a row. They're a public school. And St. Ed's is a private school. And, like, I feel for them. It's the same as Maslin. And I just think the private schools should be in their own division because they have different rules. Absolutely. So the book comes out when? In the fall? Ready when for we next fit, no, no, no. We're going oh. to try to get it done by April. We want... We want it to come out. We're going to fast track it. We're actually, I'm interviewing the offensive line coach in like three hours and, and Becca Moore and I are doing this all together. We have like eight interviews already set up. It's going to be in oral history format. You can pre-order it at TuckerDSPress.com. Um, it's going to be a heck of a story and a lot of things that people don't know that went on behind the scenes that go with that masculine against the world concept. And I would have mentioned too at that website, because I'm pretty sure this is right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You could also purchase the last days of Letterman, which I'm, which I recommend. Uh, and yes. Scott Luck stories, which is also yeah. <laughs> a fantastic, fun, funny book to, uh, to read that Scott wrote as well. That's true. And I actually do. Ha That's funny. I have actually forgot about that. I should maybe pull one of those for this book. But I actually do have two Maslin stories in the Scott Luck yep. stories book about season tickets and, and all of that. And then the Maslin 15 for 15 book is up there, too. And it's funny because I've they've been selling. I just sold two an hour ago, one on eBay and one at the website, because I think people must be Googling Maslin. Right. We're probably getting some national attention. So, and that's a great book. We didn't win that year, but it really goes through what these kids do. The coach that you worked with that year, I'm pretty sure he's not with Maslin anymore. Have you heard from him? Uh, yeah. He actually texted me that night and okay. said that I deserve this. So okay, that was good. nice. Um, yeah. He went on to another school and, right. uh, he wrote a book about Marion Motley as well. So he's still out writing and a great guy. And one of my, you know, we're brothers now. We, yeah. Uh, but. Well, listen, you know. I want to say thank you for bringing me on this journey. Um, all these years. It's been fun following this. And I hope, I hope that it doesn't, I, mean, I hope it's a repeat and I hope that feels as satisfying because after 54 years, you deserve more than one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like hopefully 20 years from now we're talking, it's like they won seven or something, you know? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I I, um, I want to thank you because I feel, I, I tell this to people all the time. I'm like, I feel like Steve is the only person who gets it. And so you have been a, yep. a, a gift for me because my friends don't get it. They're just like, <laughs> what? It's high school. I like, what? <laughs> and you're like, it's no. like in my bones. Yeah. No, it's, they're missing the point. Yeah. So I, I appreciate your your messages throughout these years and, and all of that. I will still never understand how that word is masculine, but I'm glad I learned. <laughs> I'm glad I learned it. I've <laughs> been a part of this all those years, and uh, thanks for coming on. And definitely we'll have you back when the book comes out. I'll read it, and we'll uh, we'll have more to talk about that as well. All right. That sounds great. Thanks for, thanks for everything. Seriously. I want to thank Scott Ryan and Kenny Albert for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can listen to this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email the sportscasters at gmail.com. Instagram at sportscasters. And if you'd like as a Christmas gift to me, how about a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Don't forget to check out the 24-inch podcast also on the SoundCloud feed. Um, Dave and I are anxious to get a new episode up. Hopefully we will at the beginning of next week at two, four inch podcast on Twitter at two, four underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram. All right. One last thing from me today, and it's the holiday season, which means all of the hustle and bustle of the holidays. And there's no greater time of the year for me than Christmas. And unfortunately the last two years I haven't had a Christmas. Uh, Two years ago, in December of 2021, I was deeply and rapidly falling into the health despair that would face me in January of 2022. Um, My family was over on Christmas Eve, and to this day, I barely remember it. And I watched Paul open three gifts. Christmas morning was shattering and shaking so much I went back to bed. And that was all I did on Christmas. So that one was taken to me by Crohn's. The next year, we had a good month and I was looking forward to reclaiming Christmas. And then a blizzard took that from everyone in the city of good neighbors here in Buffalo. Maybe the worst snow event of my life in a city known for snow. So that's two in a row gone. And I'm really excited to reclaim Christmas. Uh, My brother is going to stay the night on Christmas Eve here and wake up with us on Christmas Day. We'll have our party again for my side of the family. You know, we'll we'll do what's left of the family holiday parties. As the years go on, uh, the holiday parties have gotten smaller and it takes time, I think, for the younger generations maybe to repopulate them. Uh, But, you know, some of the big parties, one of my favorite things on Tammy's side of the family was her dad's family always did a nice Christmas Eve. And for one, it got me out of the day. Christmas Eve 
which was a nightmare. But this one was awesome. And, you know, her grandparents have passed away. And we still get together on that side of the family, but it's different. I think I heard it might be a brunch on Christmas Eve this year. You know, and it's smaller and quicker. And both of Tammy's cousins on that side of the family, they got like a baby mama situation. So sometimes the kids are there, sometimes they're not. And since everyone's buying for the kids, we don't do an adult exchange, which is fine. But, you know, it's always nice to bring someone from that side of the family a gift. Um, but, you know, that stuff, it, it falls off, you know, and. My point is, I think, if you're in a family tradition now and you can still look around and the room is packed, take it in. You know, take it in and and enjoy it because you never know who's not going to be there next year. Probably cliche to say. But, you know, and they might not be there. It might not be because they passed. You know, like I wasn't there for the last two years. You know, so, and I'm still here, but I wasn't there. Although last year in Buffalo, nobody was there. Everyone was looking around at empty parties last year because we were all stuck at home. You know, it was more of a, it was a stricter, uh, stricter lockdown than COVID was. It was just so bad out. So enjoy those parties. Enjoy your traditions. Create your own traditions. You know, that's something I've been working really hard on with Paula. You know, leaning into the Italian Christmas traditions of my past and uh, trying to resurrect them in my family. Um, and, and, And I rue the day I ever let them go. You know, my great-grandmother dying was not a good excuse to stop doing a giant Italian Christmas Eve. You know, my mom marrying a German guy was not a good reason to not do Italian Christmas Eve anymore. So stick with your traditions you have. If you have traditions from your past that are gone, bring them back. You know, bring them back in your own way. Create your own. Start anew. Don't let the pressures of adulthood and the stresses of the time because Christmas time can be stressful and it can be as joyful as you might be. Someone else might be equal as pain, equally as pained by the stresses of the season. Don't fall into those traps because at the end of the day, if you get to celebrate Christmas, if you just get to be there with your family for it, that that's you did it. You did it. Whether you have money for a gift or not, that's the thing, though, is is being there, being together, celebrating together, you know. And, um, you know, I pray for everyone that they can have a, a, a good season. And I've been there. I've had some bad ones recently. Uh, but I'm taking it back this year. And if you have a chance, um, if you've lost something that is important to you over Christmas, take it back with me. I'm with you to do it. So um, and let me know. Uh, if you need if you need some support, if you need a kick in the back or a pat on the back or whatever, I'm here for you. Uh, I don't know if there'll be another episode before Christmas. Maybe it might be the week in between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, either way, if we don't have a chance to talk between now and then, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Happy New Year.